Dude, that O'Doul's is definitely going to your head, man. I can see the change in your personality already. Whatevs. You're not the same person when you've had too many O'Doul's. <laughs> I don't even recognize you anymore. I think you have to start taking that quiz. Is, is drinking O'Doul's affecting your work? Your ability to... Do you, your do you drink O'Doul's to enhance your body image? <laughs> to forget your troubles. I, I don't even Do you know drink more O'Doul's when you're stressed? I don't know what you're talking Give us about. the O'Doul's, Mike. <laughs> Give us the O'Doul's. Mike, this isn't a podcast. This, this is, is an intervention. intervention. <laughs> yeah. Is this an O'Doul's intervention? Mm-hmm. No, guys, it's not. I could quit. How many? I don't have to drink any more O'Doul's. I, How many I choose to. How many did you drink last night between the time you went to bed and woke up? <laughs> and don't say none because yeah. we know you're lying. Yeah. We found the detritus. <laughs> the garbage bags are full of O'Doul bottles. <laughs> you think you can hide what? your problem? I think I think if someone else in the hall drinks O'Doul's too. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just me. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. That Manitergium tradition is so cool. Yeah, so the the mother gets the... The Manitergium. Yeah, you, I don't know the... I know it, but I'm sure you know it better, so... Well, I still need to buy one. But uh, it's basically the cloth. It's just kind of a hand towel cloth, linen thing mm-hmm. that's traditionally used to uh, wipe off the oil of chrism that's used to anoint the hands of the priest at his ordination. Mm-hmm. So the bishop anoints your hands, and you go to the sacristy and kind of wipe the oil off. And the chrism oil has the balsam in it, so it's very fragrant. Uh, it smells really good. It's the same oil that's used to confirm kids. And so that's, that fragrance kind of stays on it for a really long time, and uh, it's in the linen and stuff. So you traditionally give that manitergium, that linen, to your mother at your first Mass. And then at her death, it's placed in her hands in the casket, a sort of a sign you know, at the final resurrection that she can show the Lord, I gave, I gave your church a priest. That is so cool. Because yeah, and is it the does like your does the father get something as well? Yeah. So traditionally, um, I think it's probably kind of like Father's Day is a newer tradition than Mother's Day. Yeah. Mothers tend to take precedence yep. in people's lives <laughs> for yep. sure. Um, so fathers, I've seen that fathers get uh, a stole from the priest's first confession. Mm-hmm. I've seen that at, at a lot of guys' masses too. Uh, you know, usually I think there'll, there'll be somebody that wants to be your first confession, so it's not hard to find someone. Uh, and you just kind of have the, the stole handy at your party and stuff, so if somebody <laughs> wants to go real quick, <laughs> Wait, let me go into off my... a quick absolute. Yeah. <laughs> and the, uh, the old utility Absolute-ish. belt here. Yeah, we, got, we got some holy water in my utility belt. There's oh, the stole. There's, there's the stole. All right. It was yep. right next to my nunchuck. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Wrong utility yeah. belt. All right. Yeah. The first time I heard that um, was not that when you get to heaven, you know, not that God is going to ask you, like, okay, what did you... Let's see the goods. What do you have to show for yourself? Where's the resume? Yeah, (laughs) But in a sense, like, you know, your mother or your father could be like, no, I I gave your church my son. Like, I gave you a priest. And uh, 
which is incredibly powerful. Dude, I've seen that at multiple first masses and nary a dry eye in the house. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Dry eye. That's how so that's how this homily was with Father Matias though cuz he, he's talking about this you know his mom's last mass and like just that experience that he got to have because you know she had given him life and like with that life he chose to be a priest through God's calling obviously. And uh and so he got to experience that that death with her, like unique from all of his other siblings. Mm-hmm. You know that she had also given life, but because he was a priest, like he got to experience it in that way. Yeah. And for me, I guess it was just like that veil we were talking about earlier. It was just one of those experiences, like you could tell for him, like it had to have been close there. Like he was just so obviously it was, he was right there with his mom mm-hmm. the whole time. And uh, and it was the same way. Like, just whole chapel was a, he was like, bawling. Yeah, like so many people were crying in this chapel, you know. And it's just like you're in front of this, you know, Eucharistic pure, miracle. Eucharistic play. miracle. It's like I love me, Catherine. <laughs> Do you think a lot of seminarians though have the big picture, the big positive picture in mind? I get to. The Lord allows me to be a Christ bearer for the world. Or people are kind of caught up in the moment of what they're giving up, what the sacrifices are, getting through classes, that kind of stuff. It's a good question, Doctor. I went from the second one to the first one in my time here. I bet it's a growth process. Mm-hmm. I bet it is. How, how did yours go? Well, uh, honestly, like if I had to sum up my feelings in the first two years of seminary, it would be like, Fine, God, I'll do this. You know, like this reluctant... <laughs> You're calling me, all right. Yeah, <laughs> this reluctant uh, sort of resignation to this fate or something. And I felt that authentic call, it was an attraction to uh, particularly the Mass and the sacraments and the, the things a priest uniquely gets to do. Yeah. Um, just sort of attracted me they allured me it was like this mysterious thing that i just wanted to be close to even though i didn't know why (coughs) and so priesthood was like this thing that i had to at least try and so god got me to get to say that yes you know to go to the seminary but when i got here it was like a lot of bristling against the you know lifestyle attitude changes you know all of a sudden my life's not about me anymore and uh you do a lot of hard stuff, nursing homes and, you know, get, still go to school, get up super early for mass and stuff. And, um, didn't like doing any of that. And, uh, after my second year, I went to IPF in Omaha to the spirituality 10 week thing. And this eight day retreat, uh, felt a profound experience of, of God's love for me in the Eucharist that was finally a recognition, uh, I think, from like the head to the heart of an actual felt experience of how much he was on my side and that it wasn't like I had to, um, you know, achieve some kind of status in order to please him, you know, because I guess ultimately I wanted to please God. And the lie that I had believed was that God was calling me to be a priest and that's what would please him, but I would never get to be happy. Yeah. That I would just have to kind of grit and bear it. 
But I left this church after this holy hour, and I felt like spontaneously just said to myself, I can be happy as a priest. And it was it was like a light switch going off in my heart, you know, all of a sudden, like, things made sense, my life made sense, and I could trust God. And even when temptation came to say, like, oh, this stinks, or why, why can't I just be a normal person and do what everybody else does, it wasn't like, oh, man, it would be so much better if I could just go get married and, you know, do whatever everybody else does. It's more like, no, I recognize that that's just a temptation and that the grass is always greener on the other side. But I've authentically been called to this and I trust that it's my vocation. And my, it never left me. But once something that's interesting is that even just in this last week, because I'm getting super close now to priesthood. You How, how, how long? Well, May 17th. <coughs> today's what, the Ooh. 20th? So less than two months. Yeah. Um, and God's been sort of showing me through prayer and stuff, a lot of his hand in specific moments in my life. Kind of like, uh, we're going over Augustine's Confessions in one of my classes. And Y'all did chapter 10 today, didn't you? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Memory and all that. So th- this was very much coming up in classes when we were talking about memory, because I've sort of been just like having these memories come up spontaneously. Like after Mass in the morning or something, I'll just sit there for 10 minutes and like be somewhere that I've been before, you know? And all of a sudden, it's different. It's like now it's part of a story that God's telling me about myself. And one of the most powerful images I've had was my uh, junior year of high school. I uh, don't know how much context I'll give you for this, but um, basically I had been sort of uh, opened up to the reality of Christ and through a good confession, through reading the Gospel of Luke with my dad, woken up to the truth of Catholicism, and I wanted it, but I didn't know how to do it. So I, I was pretty much, you know, living a life of sin outside of grace, but had this memory of, I know that this is true. If I could just sort of live it, that would be good, but I can't. Um, and we went just on a college visit to U of I. It was my junior year in the spring semester. Uh and my parents had both gone to Champagne, so it seemed like a logical choice to at least visit there first. And my, uh, we were talking about majors and what, what I was going to do, you know. And my dad said, why don't we go over to that Newman Center? Because <clears throat> I remember from when I was here that that's the, the Catholic dorm on campus, and maybe you want to live there. And we walked in and sort of, there was nobody there. It was like a weekend day, and uh, one of the students just saw us and they're like, showed us around and we went up um you know how you can go from the social hall up into the chapel through those little side stairways mm-hmm. so i remember going up this little side stairway um and all of a sudden like seeing this church uh and you you've been there i don't know if you guys have ever seen the, the newman center you have it's just a it's a simple place but it's so beautiful yeah and the the vestibule has these glass, big glass uh, doors and sort of window wall things. So you can see from the vestibule into the church, but they kind of shield sound. And um, I could see into it through this kind of tinted glass and I'm like immediately captivated. And, uh, and then this <coughs> girl who had been showing us around opens the door to the church part. And for the first time in my life, I smelled incense. Whoa. And 
it was like this immediate, uh, you know, through the glass and the smell. I was like, I don't know what this is, but I want it. <laughs> I have no idea what this is. I've never smelled this before. Yeah. I've never seen a place that looks like this. There's no one in there. I mean, I can, in my mind's eye, I see this place was empty. There's no one in it, but there was just something about the place and how it was oriented. And um, I mean, there's a lot of good smells. The smell was very, made a huge impact on me. As you know, memory, like the hippocampus is super close to the smell receptors. And so like memory and smell are very, and uh, it's not like bacon or, you know, <laughs> like leather or money, you know, those things that smell good. There's something about incense specifically that was like, it hit my soul, you know? And Merton talked about that when he went to Rome, like before he was able to really sign on to Christianity. He saw the beautiful churches and he was converted in his heart to a certain extent. And it took a while for him to, but God's like showing me how in that moment, he was sort of like pulling me to his altar in that place, Champaign, Illinois, but throughout my life that's been happening, whatever altar it is, but it's always the same altar. Altar. So wait, this is a memory that you're living in after Mass. You're just like... <clears throat> I was like there. Living it through. Yeah, the other day after Mass, I just, it like came to me. Um, God's like, this is how I prepared you. Little baby step one, little Connor. Yeah. Where yeah. you are now. And dude, I, I applied to U of I, got in before Thanksgiving, my senior year, and signed the letter right away. And it had nothing to do with majoring in biochemistry there, or like I loved the Illini. It was that church. That's awesome. And I never would have said that to anyone at the time, but looking back on it and deep down at the time, I knew <laughs> that's why I was going there. Well, and, and maybe not even like explicitly, but like that was a beautiful impact mm -hmm. that had your heart. Yeah. It's like, uh, obviously pre-seminary. It's like when a girl sort of hits that twang in your heart and you don't really know exactly what it is, but it's like this, you have something yeah, and you can know more about you. Now. You can get into there <laughs> yeah. in some strange way. It captivates you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And like, I can't, I don't, I can't put my finger on it, but like you have an entry into here and you can, you know, stir certain emotions and certain thoughts that I don't know why, you know, I don't know why this church can do this. You know, it's, it's the transcendental qualities that are speaking to, you know, this attraction that God put in your heart. But you don't know that. It's just a, there's a beautiful thing here, you know, and it is. Oh, dude, I was a total jabron. It's junior high school. I was absolute <laughs> jabron. Yeah. <laughs> what the heck was I doing in that church feeling like that? Right. It's similar when I was at U of I, not, not in high school, but um, so I get there my freshman year. I'm at the fraternity. <laughs> Loved it. Like, still some of my best friends were were at the house there. and But then I would start, I would go to Mass, like, my freshman year with a couple of guys, the guys from from the house. And there was something just, it did. It started to grab your heart. I mean, through through the beauty of the place, through the beauty of the people then, like, you got to experience um, just different people living an authentically Catholic life. And it wasn't something that was, like, any immediate experience like I need to give my life to, to Jesus Not right now, right. you know, but it's just like, no, he knew, you know, what I needed and he knew, God knew what was going to like 
get me to the core. Mm-hmm. And it was as long as it took, he was willing to to take, you know. But uh, but yeah, that. And he's never going to overwhelm you. It's yeah. I'm going to give you just what you need right here, because I know everything. I know the future. You know, I know what's going on right now. And and this is exactly what you need right now, yeah. so that I can lead you to my altar. Yeah. You know, I'm going to give you this beautiful experience. It's not going to overwhelm you. You're not going to run out and you know sell everything or do whatever. But this is exactly what you need right in this instant. And well, I'm a doctor. I'm sure you can speak on it far more eloquently than I. But what You're is pretty good, Mike? What is well? No, feeling all right, I guess. What I was going it... to say that it's kind of like uh, the way God attracts us to himself. It would be sort of like, I don't take a gun and put it to your head and say, we should podcast right now and you get your butt in that chair and let's podcast. What I do, that happened like an hour ago. <laughs> yeah. No, what yeah, I do is I, living in fear, I buy yeah. a sixer of O'Doul's and I say, look, yeah. Yeah. it's in your room, put the mic up and it's yours, man. It gets me every time. <laughs> it gets me every time. Well, that's, I mean, that's the, the theology behind beauty. I mean, most people think beauty is some unidentifiable thing that gives you some kind of emotional response. But, I mean, classically, beauty is that about the truth which is attractive. It's compelling. Yeah. And there was a time when you know, the ethical argument where you ought to do this because it's good. But our time doesn't really do that. I mean, people want to be convinced. And how do you convince somebody? Well, first you have to get them in the room, you know, so you say, okay, here's this beautiful thing. How can I attract you to this? Like you were saying, Mike, you see a beautiful woman across the room. Something makes you pick up one foot and then the next foot and go over there. It's not really an intellectual process. If we combine our X and Y chromosomes, we will improve the race. You know, it's not like that at all. But then you find out the truth later after something compelling brings you. That's the big, the big 20th century spin because it used to be people would say goodness, truth, beauty. So you do what's good to find out what's true and then somehow like beauty evaporates. But then the big flip in the 20th century was start with beauty because that is what's compelling about what's true. Then when you see something beautiful, you say, what is that? How do I do that? How can I learn about that? And then finding out about the truth is delightful. And then when you find out what the truth is, you say, oh, yeah, I guess I want to do that, too. And, you know, in all things Catholic, I think maybe even people like these podcasts because your stories are true. I mean, they're beautiful, but they're, I mean, they're true, but they're beautiful. You're funny, and you're smart, and Rob's Rob, you know. I wouldn't go as far as to say people like the podcast. (laughs) That's not very clear to me. I mean, at least one person does, right? Yeah, we're... We're like ninety nine percent sure we have one real fan. <laughs> All right, well that's a start, right? <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say this is a classic undersell. Like, oh, I guess. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Maybe we need to plug t- Tide Bleach really. Oh, quick. plug yeah. it, yeah. plug it. So just say Tide Bleach real quick in there. Say what? Tide Bleach. Tide Bleach. Great. Okay. There we go. So what was I saying? <laughs> it's a contract deal. I <laughs> thought that was a classic undersell. They're like, oh man, I guess we're. An okay podcast, like we may have a couple followers. Dude, that's how it, like the when you undersell of the century. You what don't do we have? say that you're underselling. You just undersell. Well, see, I'm the guest. I'm allowed to say good things about the rest of you guys. That's mainly why we brought you in, and yeah. to play dumb about the stories that we've all told each other. Oh yeah, so we have an excuse to tell them. This, this is, is good. the I fifth time I've heard these stories. But you know, I was thinking about you talking about incense. Well, what if somebody said, "Oh, well, incense—that's that old-fashioned stuff," or that people cough because of allergies, or it's too much trouble to keep that coal lit, or you know, you would have gone in there and it's all true. Just, that, just ditch it, throw it in the garbage. That, yeah, just 
convince people with some compelling finger-wagging argument, right? Obviously, the don't do it or the do do it thing is not working, really, for most people in our time. For whatever reason, you know, the logic of the moral imperative is just not working. And how do you get people in the door? Because nobody wants to do what you're telling me to do. Mm-hmm. And even worse, no one... Ever, no one doesn't want to do what you're telling them to not do. Yeah, better. That's a better way of saying it. It was pretty <laughs> clear right there. Yeah. Actually, I have a classic story of that, okay? Well, I want to hear what the end of DMAC was going to say. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't remember that. You don't... I mean, moral, moralism doesn't work. Oh, yeah, the finger-wagging doesn't really work. Right. Because nobody's convinced by the you must. Or even if you take it back to some scripture reference, people say, well, so what? That, that authority... Yeah. That in a more obedient time, it's not really there anymore. Look, it was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. That does not convince anybody. <laughs> Dogs go to heaven, goats go to hell. All right, little broski, JP. Um, so he's, he's a fan of the, the he, cast, right? He, I, I think he is. He might be. I don't know. Um, he's too brothers younger than me. So there's five boys to start out my family. I'm number two. And he's number four of the of the whole clan. But the oldest three, we would always go out and he was still, JP was still a younger guy at this time. We would go out and make spears, which I don't know if y'all did that when you were growing up. But you just grab a giant stick, essentially, and go out on the concrete and just sharpen the edges. You just sharpen the edge. <laughs> so you can throw it at stuff. People, <laughs> trees, other things, <laughs> other objects, you know? And so you just go out there, rub it on the concrete really hard, the stick, and it sharpens up. And, um, you know, you can have a spear. It's You have a spear. You just created this spear. It's like the coolest thing ever. So me and my older brother and Kev, my just younger brother, had all these things, all these spears created. And we had to run inside. And, uh, of course, we left on the front porch and said, hey, JP. Don't touch these spears, man. Don't touch these spears. So we came out, and he had a spear impaled through his foot. Oh, dude. (laughs) He had taken it and went to, like, stick it in the ground. Yeah. And missed in his own foot. He had a spear in his foot. You can still see it. He had to get it, like, super glued together. That's how they did it. You should have gone to a better doctor. (laughs) (laughs) I was very skeptical of that when I was like five or when I was like eight. Like, they're going to just glue it together. Like, really? (laughs) (laughs) Look, I've worked the glue gun before and you're going to need a little bit more than that. I think I speak with some authority because I did make the spear. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And trust me, it was a good spear. Oh, dude, that... That's just what kids do, man. Was he like terrified or... What That's was what his, humans do. What was his face like when you came out and saw well, the spear through his foot? Spear in his foot. It's pretty much exactly what you would think it looks like when someone has a spear. <laughs> How old is he? I mean, he was maybe five. Oh, like very, oh, very young. Poor guy. So it was like just enough strength to, you know, crush to stab his, your foot. Just enough strength <laughs> to stab a spear through your foot. But uh, apparently not enough coordination to stab it into the earth. (laughs) That is a tough age. Oh, my gosh. It's a tough age. He. So the point of your story being. So when you tell us. Yeah. And that's, you know, adults are just bigger children. You know, we are the exact same way. Hey, don't do this. That's that's all you can think about. Yeah. And another thing. That's the great thing about you guys, too. You know, the Father Baron director here, of course, always talks about. Being happy warriors, that's it, you know. 
If you smell like incense, you smell like Odules, you smell like chocolate chip cookies, <laughs> whatever it is you smell like, <laughs> spiritually that is, people say, wow, I want to be near that guy. You know? <clears throat> Who wants to be around some morose, naysaying, finger-wagging person all the time? Who doesn't want to drink Odules? Seriously, yeah, most yeah. people don't like my Odules breath. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you no. No, you make the breath stink more intense? <laughs> no, well, that's just like that. Your buddy who drinks a ton of coffee leans over and is like, today's going to be a great day. <laughs> oh, it's starting pretty poorly. You had coffee this morning. Yep. But then she's in a can breath. That, now that will bring people in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It'll bring them to tears. <laughs> the tea smells foul. So I can't imagine. <laughs> what the hell <laughs> <laughs> oh my god once it's been mashed up in your mouth right yeah. and just sitting there really the mouth is kind of a disgusting place to you know just to be honest <laughs> it is isn't it it is yeah and yet Jesus allows us to receive the Eucharist that way kind of amazing that is amazing oh, that's true man Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Down.